over the next century. The Marginal Revolution Fortunately, a new light appeared to counter the dark forces of social engineering. This marginal revolution gave new life to our main character, the invisible hand model of Adam Smith. It came from three sources in the early 1870s. From Karl Menger in Austria, Leon Walras in Switzerland, and William Stanley Jevons in England. Eugen Böhm Bawerk, a colleague of Menger, was the first economist to take on Marx with a devastating critique of his labor theory of value and exploitation. Through the textbooks of Alfred Marshall in England and Frank Tausig and Irving Fisher in the United States, the Smithian model of modern economics was rebuilt. Thus resuscitated, it made an effective counterattack on the growing socialist movement. Scientific economics had come of age. Nevertheless, the late 19th century was the era of big business and the giant trusts of Carnegie and Rockefeller. Institutionalists like Thorsten Veblen swayed the crowds of cynics with their warnings of conspicuous consumption and monopoly power, while German sociologist Max Weber wrote of the religious underpinnings and the iron cage of capitalism. Keynes and the Great Depression but the biggest blow to Adam Smith's world of free-market capitalism came with the 1929 crash and the Great Depression of the 1930s. Neoclassical economists comprehended the nuances of supply and demand, but failed to grasp the mysteries of the money nexus, the vital connection between the microeconomy and the macroeconomy. The great Yale professor Irving Fisher made bold attempts at solving the missing link between micro and macro in the early 20th century, and the Austrian Ludwig von Mises, relying on the profound work of the Swede Knut Wicksell, finally bridged the gap in his theory of money and credit. But the Mises-Wicksell theories didn't take hold in academia or the halls of government, and by the early 1930s, banks collapsed, businesses failed, and millions of workers begged for a living wage as governments around the globe struggled to overcome the decade-long financial nightmare. Who would save capitalism? The battle lines were drawn between the classical economists who defended the policies of laissez-faire and the Marxists and socialists who demanded the revolutionary overthrow of the old order. Amid the global intellectual conflict appeared John Maynard Keynes, the economist as savior. This Cambridge dawn proposed a new, sophisticated model based on a financial instability hypothesis inherent to the capitalist system. This new economics required government intervention in the monetary and fiscal arena to stabilize the market economy. Yet, unlike its chief rival, Marxism, the Keynesian model did not require nationalization or micro-control of supply and demand. The classical model of thrift, balanced budgets, low taxes, and the gold standard was relegated to periods of full employment, while the Keynesian prescription of consumer demand, deficit financing, progressive taxation, and fiat money played out during periods of economic recession and unemployment. It was viewed as the ideal compromise, and soon college instructors, their heads buried in a popular new textbook by MIT Wunderkind Paul Samuelson, were teaching students strange new tools the multiplier, the marginal propensity to consume, the paradox of thrift, aggregate demand, and 
C plus I plus G. Keynesian economics reflected the high tide of macroeconomic theorizing and mathematical modeling. The Return to Market Economics The final chapter in our story begins after World War II. Through the monetarist counter-revolution, led by Chicago's Milton Friedman, economists began to focus more on the instability of government macro-policies. Friedman, relying on empirical work more than abstract model-building, demonstrated how the Federal Reserve, a government creation, was the principal culprit in causing the Great Depression. By adopting a stable monetary policy, the self-regulating market economy of Adam Smith could once again flourish. The Chicago School became the driving force behind the return to classical economics and the need for empirical evidence to support theory. Soon other schools of free market economics...